I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Well, the Rays got back to their winning ways. They snap a four-game losing streak, rallying from a 3-1 deficit to beat the Kansas City Royals 6-3. Mike Zanino, oh baby, channeling his inner dad strength with a two-run homer for his young son just born the other day. And we're two days away from the NFL draft. Ed Oliver or Devin White? And how will history look at Jason Light's draft record? And is this a make-or-break year for Jameis Winston or for Tennessee's Marcus Mariota, for that matter? Was the hot start by the Rays fool's gold? And are they overly driven by analytics? If the Blue Jackets win the Stanley Cup, does that save face for the Tampa Bay Lightning? We've got all of those mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727 862 2100 to take advantage of this great offer on a brand new train quality air conditioning unit or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727 862 2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. Okay, Steve, lots of good mailbag questions in this uh, segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay. But before we get started with that, of course, the Rays finally got back on track. I was a little nervous. Uh, if you're a Rays fan, you were watching Kansas City, which has not been a very good baseball team, not a lot of stars on that team. But they jumped out to a 3-1 to one lead, and it was uh, seemed pretty easy for them, actually. And then, you know, the bats finally woke up, and they woke up in a big way. Of course, Mike Zanino with the big blast, and, of course, he just had uh, his first child the other day. He was on paternity leave, comes back his first game back, had not hit a home run for the Rays, and I guess before the game he mentioned that, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this was the day I did it and channeled my inner dad strength, and he did just that. And it was a blast to dead center field well over the 404 sign out there. So the Rays rallied to win, and, you know, that was much needed after a four-game losing streak. They didn't want to make that a five-game losing streak. So a chance now to get back on the, the winning side of things and, and maybe win the series against the Royals which they desperately need to do after that three-game sweep by the Red Sox. Yeah, always good to get back on the winning side there. I mean, you don't want to let those streaks linger. We, t- I mean, last year we talked about they had, you know, a couple eight-game losing streaks, and they had eight-game winning streaks too. But, you know, those things can, can bury you quickly. You know, you got off to such a hot start, you want to keep rolling. I mean, you know, you don't have to play at the same, you know, 750 win percentage clip throughout the season. Right. You know, at this point it's win series. You know, sure, take two 15. out of three, and you know you lose a couple series and take one out of three in those. Okay, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. but if you keep winning a majority of your series or more series than you lose, you're going to be fine the rest of the season. I mean, that's why you build up a, a lead early so that you're not chasing like they did last year. Right. I think they're 15 and eight right now. I want to say, which is a, still a pretty good start for them. You know, what's been a, a fun to watch is this Yanni Diaz. You know, the guy that's just all yoked up, Mr. Biceps, and and what's just incredible to think is that. 
he had like I don't know 500 at bats uh, and just one home run prior to the Rays getting him from Cleveland, and he now has six. He's hit two that he's kind of wrapped around the right foot, right foot, the right field foul pole. You know, had another blast against the Royals. This guy is strong as anybody I've ever seen, and it's just amazing. The Rays, you know, saw the bat speed and, and the way the ball came off his bat, um, you know, over 100 miles an hour almost every time he made contact and thought that if he just altered his launch angle just a little bit that a lot of those balls would go out of the ballpark. And there haven't been any cheapies, a lot of line drives. He's still not hitting, you know, towering blast or anything like that. Uh, but, man, he's strong. To hit the ball the other way like that for home runs like he's, his last two have been, that's really impressive. I know we're going to get to the mailbag here in a second, but one of the questions from All Aboard TB Rays Bandwagon asked, We're at the Rays game and just realized that Yandy Diaz is wearing BJ's old number two. Could two dudes have different bodies in that uni? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the exact same uniform. I'm sure one's an XXL and the other one was probably a, a schmedium. Um, if you will. Yeah, they were, that was a one wiry dude. I don't know that I've seen a baseball player as jacked up as this guy. I'll be honest with you. Like, I didn't think you could get, um, you know, that barreled up, uh, chested, and, and, and especially with the arms, and be able to extend the bat and do the things that he has done. He's obviously a very strong guy and seems to really enjoy You know what I like about it is the smile he has. He seems to really enjoy playing, playing the game. Um, can play anywhere. He's versatile, third base, first base. And that's the one thing you notice about the Rays is just how, you know, their lineup is so varied. They can play people at all different positions. And yeah, Brendan Lau was at them. first base tonight. Yeah, first game at first base, yeah. And G-Man Choi still uh, hurt as he right. left the game the other night. Oh, it looks like three weeks they're hoping on the uh, positive side for Austin Meadows with that sprained thumb. It's not going to require surgery, so that's probably the biggest break he got. Remember Kevin Kiermeyer missed a lot of time. What was it, like eight, ten weeks? Uh, he might have missed almost three months gym. or close to. Yeah, but yeah, yeah he needed surgery in that. So, yeah, so that's good news that Meadows, even though they're going to miss his bat because he was as hot as anybody in the lineup, but and it may take him some time to get ready. But at least they know that he's coming back without the benefit of surgery, which means that that's that's really really good prognosis for them there. All right, Steve, we got a lot of mailbag questions. Of course, the NFL draft just two days away. We're going to be talking a lot about that as we get closer to Thursday, and some of your questions reflect that. All right, we'll start with draft questions. And Mike had asked, what scenario do you see the Bucks trading down in the first round? Well, you know, that's a great question. I think the scenario would be that there'd have to be a hell of a lot of compensation, and they would not be moving very far, I think. There's a cutoff. Jason Light, when we spoke to him the other day, uh, said that they have a number in mind of where they'd be comfortable moving down to. But there's a difference between outstanding you know, players, great players that they think they can draft, and they're just very good players. You know, there, there comes a line of demarcation somewhere in the first round. And what I always say is there's usually a consensus, right? I mean, as much as the NFL, you know, you have your New England Patriots who sort of go by the beat of their own drum, if you will, but for the most part, the way you keep your job in the NFL and the way most people do it is they build consensus among each other, among the scouts, among the GMs, people that evaluate talent, and even the, even the draft Knicks get this from teams as well. And that's why you see some, so many of these mock drafts. Now, they're not all 100% accurate, of course, and you, you never really know what each team is doing because they put a lot of misinformation. But the way you build consensus is to say, okay, who are the top – 
who are the top guys in the draft. And I think we've identified them. You know, you know, no matter what you think of Kyler Murray, somebody's going to take him pretty early if they want a quarterback because even though he's unique, he's probably the, the most productive and interesting quarterback in the draft. And many people think he'll go number one to Arizona, which will make Josh Rosen available. And then you look at the defensive lineman after that. You know, you're talking about Quinnen Williams, who's a unique talent, Outland Trophy winner, guy that only started one year at Alabama, but is quick, can play the three technique, is going to have an outstanding career in the NFL. And some people, I think I read where Charlie Castley said about 17 teams that he's talked to have him rated as the number one player in the draft, right, overall. So he's certainly a guy that I think there's a consensus about him being a top three to five player. Uh, and then, you know, you go to someone like Nick Bosa at Ohio State, even though he had some injury situations, out, outstanding edge rusher. We know the success that Joey had before he got hurt at Ohio State. He was dominant. He looks to be in great shape right now. Uh, again, you have to be okay with the medical, but I think Bosa is identified as one of those elite consensus players. And then you go to Josh Allen, the edge edge guy from Kentucky, could play in the three forward outside linebacker, uh, outstanding pass rusher, very strong, played a lot of years at Kentucky. You know, just a guy that I think most people recognize he's a freakish type athlete and will be highly picked, highly coveted. After that, I think sort of it starts to wane a little beauty in the eye of the beholder. Some people like Ed Oliver more than they would like uh, another player in this draft, uh, another defensive lineman. You know, Oliver was really great at Houston, although he, they played him at nose tackle, which was kind of curious because he got double teamed all the time. In the NFL, he'd be probably a three technique as well. Very disruptive, um, colorful guy, maybe somebody that, you know, might make some waves with the coaching staff. You just don't know. He had some some of his issues in Houston that were silly and well publicized. But Ed Oliver is in that mix. And then I think you know, whether people want to agree with me or not, this is what GMs tell me. Devin White is one of those guys from LSU, the the inside linebacker that um, most people say is an absolute top five pick, um, you know, a guy that's going to be a leader of a football team for a long time. Now, inside linebackers aren't typically drafted that high unless you're Ray Lewis or Patrick Willis or somebody of that ilk. I'm not saying he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he is special according to most of the people that do this for a living and evaluate him. After that, after you get about six deep, eh, it's really tough. It's hard to know just how far back the Bucks would go. I would say that you know they would want to at least get in the range of a Devin Bush if they if they move back. Um, so you're talking about you know two to three to four spots. It just depends. But there is a line there somewhere shortly after six, where I think it's it's sort of you know. If you like this player A over player B, they're all kind of lumped in together throughout the first round. So if they move back, I'm going to guess they don't move back more than three or four spots. And again, it all depends on what the team is offering to come up, right? Are they giving you next year's number one? Are they giving you their number one this year and a second round pick? Um, compensation will, will make you do a lot of things um, because if you have those picks, then you can move back almost anywhere in the draft and, and get the player you want as he comes up. But you have to be willing to sit there if you can't trade back up with somebody and take whoever falls to you, and that's, that can be some moments of anxiety, especially if you're on the clock and there's a great player there at five. And I think there will be a great player there at five, and I fully expect the Bucks to stay at five and take a player. Correct me if I'm wrong, but last year the Bucks were pretty much, if Saquon Barkley, Bradley Chubb, or Quentin Nelson are there, 
at number they were seven. One pick away. They were taking. Yes. They were taking. They were one pick away. There was a consensus six players. Uh, Baker Mayfield, of course, going number one, and then Saquon Barkley went two. Um, you know, Cleveland took a defensive back, of course, from Ohio State. Denzel Ward. Sam Darnold went to the Denzel Jets. Denzel Ward. Three. Sam Darnold went to the Jets, and then you were sitting there, and it was Bradley Chubb and Quentin Nelson. And it was like. If anybody takes a different player, if somebody comes up and gets a quarterback, which was still possible, if anybody takes anybody different, they're going to get one of these two guys. And they went boom, boom. Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, that was it. That was your consensus is a great example. Consensus, six players. They had the seventh pick. So what did they do? They moved back to 12, I think it was. Because mm-hmm. they could they, get Vita Vea, who was their next they guy. Could get, right. They, the they they next guy they was Vita Vea. And they they were confident. There were some players that obviously went between, you know, between seven and twelve. But they they were okay with the guys that went. If if and I don't know that if one of those guys would have been their guy. From what I heard, it was Vita Vea and Derwin Derwin James. And James actually went five picks later after Vita Vea, I think seventeen mm-hmm. to San Diego, sixteen or seventeen to San Diego. So uh, they're two guys that they would have been happy with. They knew they could get middle of the first round. So. But that was a good example. Consensus, six players. Once Nelson went to Indianapolis, they were like, we're out. You know, we these next group of guys are all kind of the same. And so that's what they decided to do. And I think that's what it comes down to. Where is that line for the Bucks? you know? And I would put Ed Oliver in that group, so I think it's probably six, you know, maybe seven if another quarterback, say, you know, Dwayne Haskins, you know, jumps up in there and the Giants take him at six. You know, you could argue there's two quarterbacks that are worthy of a, of a top 10 pick, right? Uh, so in that case, maybe maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight. But whatever that line is, the Bucks have to have it in their mind. And I don't think they'll be trading back too far. In fact, I, I, I very seriously don't think they'll be trading at all unless it's, you know, again, the Giants pick six. So it's possible that, you know, some team behind the Giants, not very far behind, will think they have to get up in front of New York to get the next quarterback if, if Murray is gone. Or it could be the um, Giants trying to trade with Tampa Bay or, just or to make sure the they get Giants. their guy, that no one that, else trades that, for that fifth pick. That's right, that that if somebody else is going to trade with Tampa to get the quarterback, that they trade with Tampa, and then right. the Bucks are only moving back one spot, pick well, up and, a draft pick. And presumably it's a quarterback the Giants would take, so it's not going to be someone right. on your board. Exactly, exactly. And you would, you would have that information, so – I think, uh, yeah. So I think there's there's certainly ways they could do it, but yeah, not not very far. I've, I've, I'm of the belief it'll be three, no more than maybe four spots back. I've got to imagine that based on everything that they've said, that you know they're here to win now. That you're mm-hmm. not going to trade back far if you trade back at all. If if it's going to be, it's you know the Giants are trading back with you for one spot, or you're trading back two spots because three quarterbacks went ahead of you, and now you have mm-hmm. that leverage. Mm-hmm. You know, because those good players are still going to be there, which maybe you're not anticipating at this point. Sure, sure. And there are good players. I mean, but then there's very good players, right? And you want one of the very – I mean, look, you never want to be in this position very often. You don't want to be picking in the top five. But if you're there, you damn sure should get a Pro Bowl caliber talent. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what we're talking about. You know, Quentin Nelson made the Pro Bowl. Bradley Chubb was on the all-rookie team with 12-and-a-half sacks. I mean, these guys were sort of can't-miss dudes – and they didn't miss, right? They all played very, very well. Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley. Barkley was the offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, w- w- what player, Denzel Ward played very well for Cleveland. What player was uh, a miss early in that, you know, that consensus six picks? The answer is zero. They were all very, very good. And so, you know, again, these teams, 
scout these guys. They talk to each other. Uh, they evaluate differently. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you don't know what order. But at the end of the day, there's usually a number where there's a demarcation and the talent is just, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. All right. Well, Juan asked, speaking of two of those names, Ed mm-hmm. Oliver or Devin White? Go. Boy, I struggle with this. I don't know. If, I'm sure the Bucks have the answer. This goes back to the whole notion that we're going to take the best player available. You know, you hear that a lot in the NFL. And it's a lie. They're going to take the best player available at the biggest need that they have. Uh, now, you don't want to reach for a guy. You don't want to, you know, take somebody say, if I need, you know, a right tackle and he's really not a top ten talent, I'm, I'm not going to take him at number five just because I need a right tackle. But I think in this case – it's interesting because the Bucks need both these players. I mean, they, they absolutely need, in my opinion, you know, an inside, a Mike linebacker, an inside linebacker to replace Quan, particularly in the 3-4 in the, in the that they're planning on running because they're very thin at linebacker. I mean, they got Levante David, who is entering like his seventh or eighth year. You know, you, you sign D1 Buchanan, who's sort of a situational substitution guy. You have Kevin Minter who can play there, but you know Kevin Minter was a second-round pick of the Cardinals and cut by Todd Bowles last year with the Jets. So you know what, what do we have there if you're the Bucks? And you know after that, you know it's Riley Bulla and and you know some of these guys. I mean, imagine having an injury because we we don't think that uh, Beckwith is going to come back. So you know they they have a need, they have a real need for somebody to be the quarterback of that defense and. You know, certainly a guy like Devin White or maybe even Devin Bush would would be those guys. But Ed Oliver versus Devin White, I've been on the Internet all week long with people saying, how can you take a middle linebacker that high? No one does. There's just not the value of the position. It's just not. And that's true if you're just going to, you know, put values on positions. But you you have to evaluate the player, right? So, you know, could the Buck the Bucks could use either of these guys. I think it's harder to find a defensive lineman that's that's really disruptive and it's going to be good for a number of years. And if they've evaluated Ed Oliver to be the same kind of guy that you know fits in the conversation with a Quentin Williams, I mean he's played longer. Uh, you know he didn't play in the SEC, he played in the AAC, but he was dominant. He played nose tackle. They're going to probably move him to three technique. Um, he's got a little spice to him personally. I don't know whether that figures into it or not. But I would think that that you know having Vita Vea and and the fact that you know we talk about them losing Quan Alexander, how about the fact that they're going to lose Gerald McCoy? That they've all but advertised that you know Gerald McCoy is not going to be here, so you got to replace him too. So you know it, it makes a lot of sense to take Ed Oliver right there if you think he's in the same category as a Devin White. I don't know the answer to it. They have not shown me their board. Okay, my personal opinion is that Devin White might be rated higher um, as a player on their board than Ed Oliver. And I don't know if that's because they just would love to have that piece in the middle of their defense and feel like that they can get you know a defensive lineman later in the draft because it's so deep, so deep with defensive linemen all the way through the second round that maybe you can find your three technique there, but this is a special talent because after Bush, the linebacker, the inside linebacker position drops way off the board. That was I mean, the next like, question we had from Tommy is after the Devons, yeah. meaning Devin White yeah. and Devin Bush, what's the drop-off in linebacker? How bad is it? 
It's substantial. In fact, I don't think you'd see one probably till about the third round at the earliest. And because of that, um, I think that, you know, if you if you're in the market for that guy, if you really think that's one of your bigger needs and and, you know, that's what that trade back scenario. Now, now the, the question that's really interesting, and I think every team would judge this differently. How about, you know, we said Ed Oliver or Devin White. How about Devin White or Devin Bush? I think most people would have White rated higher. Mm-hmm. He's a little bigger for starters. You know, he's not quite as small as, as Devin Bush. But I'm here to tell you, um, the way they the way they trained, the way they uh, tested at the Combine, their film, eh, there's not much difference, man. There, there's not a big golf there now. Well, you could, know, could you, if, if Ed Oliver's not high on the Bucks draft board, we don't know that, and the other right. three are gone, Right? could the Bucks trade back and wait for Devin Bush – Absolutely. Instead of Devin and White that, at that point. Absolutely. And that that's what that's what you would be doing. I think you'd be trading back to a spot where you still feel confident you could get Devin Bush. Here's the thing though, when you um you know, you look at some of the teams that are back behind the Bucks, um, and this is why you can't go too far. Like Cincinnati absolutely would love to have a, a middle linebacker. Uh, Denver, same thing. You know, so you know, Denver could go for a quarterback, I suppose, so could Cincinnati. But either one of those teams could take if Devin White was gone, they could take Devin Bush, and then you're sitting there and, and, and you don't you know now the linebacker conversation's gone. You know there, there's still plenty of defensive linemen though that you know you might be comfortable with or very very happy with. I just think this that again the key to the draft to me is did you get the first one right? It just seems like everything, and I can't explain this, but it just seems like when you get the first pick right, when you get a player, a guy that's an impactful player, and you hope he's an impactful rookie, but the Bucks haven't had one of those in a while. But if you get an impactful player with the first pick in, in, that you make in the draft, for whatever reason, after that it seems to flow. And that's why I think it's so important for them to get it right and that staying at five makes so much sense, whether we're talking about Oliver or Devin White um, you know, or or if a Josh Allen comes to them, or God forbid, I mean, to me, their wish, their biggest. If I was making a, a wish list for the Bucks, I'd start with Quinn and Williams. That's you know, that is our guy. How do we get Quinn and Williams? You know, is there any way he could get to five, or we could get to four? You know, whatever. What do we have to do? Because to me, you bring in a three technique from Alabama. It's going to play a long time. It's disruptive as he is. And nowadays, and I wrote about him in the Tampa Bay Times this morning, he's just got a great story to begin with. I mean, you know, hell, he, um, <clears throat> you know, his mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in 05, 2010. He was 12 years old, and she died, recurred. Um, she died of breast cancer, and he was, he was mama's boy. You know, he was the, the favorite kid of his, uh, of his four si- or three siblings, second oldest, and his brother played football as well. And she told him uh, the last thing she said before she passed was, you know, you're going to be the one that takes care of everybody. Like, you're going to be that guy. And, of course, it was tough for him. And he came up, he you know, ends up at Alabama. And everyone's like, well, you know, the NFL doesn't, doesn't favor guys that only play one full season of college football. I mean, particularly, court, you know, quarterbacks might be able to get away with that. But other guys, you know, they're a little suspicious of this guy really a one-hit wonder. I don't think anybody in the NFL is suspicious. And the reason is, you know, he played – this is Alabama. you got to understand, you know, Nick Saban has surrounded his team with nothing but five-star recruits every year. You know what I mean? So it's hard to get on the field. And a year ago at this time, 
Quentin Williams was thinking, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be a starter. You know, I, I got to try to go here in the spring and earn myself a starting job. But he waited for his opportunity, and when he got it, you know, he, he certainly made the best of it. So I just think that, you know, that would be the perfect guy to replace Gerald McCoy, sit him next to a nose tackle like Vita Vea, and you're, you're good, you're golden. But failing that, I really do, I really do think that they like Devin White and, and Devin Bush. I think they like them both. So we'll see how it goes, but um, it's interesting. Well, and, and we got a question from Buck North, and then I've got a follow-up to it before you answer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Buck North asks, how will history look at Jason Light's draft record? Watching uh, caught in the draft and seeing the bad picks made by GMs, Light's decisions, especially in the second round, have been terrible. Why should fans think that this year will be different? I have a follow-up in that you mentioned that you think that the first pick sets the draft for you as far as evaluating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you go back through the Bucks' history, well, it, <laughs> it, gonna, it dawned on me. You're so. right. You're going to nail me with this. I so, know what you're going to do. Last year, Vitavea was the first pick yeah. for them. Yeah. I, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, he was hurt at the beginning of the season. He started to play well at the end. I, I don't know if you can really judge his, his pick yet. 17 was O.J. Howard. That's a pretty good pick. I think you're pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. You know. um, maybe you could have had um, Dalvin Cook as a possibility, but I think O.J. Howard's pretty good. So 16 was Hargraves. Okay yeah, pick, but so well. not for the 11th pick, but he's performed I mean, you so went, far. Yeah, you went Hargraves and then Noah Spence. Yeah. Eek. Yeah, 15 is Jameis Winston, which – that was a hell this of a that's, that's Jason's best draft, no question. The, the draft was good. The first pick, you may not be, you may not get a second contract. Well, but I, I agree with that. But I would say this: that you know, it was going to be no matter who was picking in that draft, one or two was going to take either Mariota or Winston. I think that those two guys, because of the value of the position and mm-hmm. the production that they had, which was unparalleled, both of them won national championships. One yep. was Eisen Trophy winner. They were going to go one two. So I don't, I don't ham. And plus. So not only did he get Jameis Winston, okay, he got Donovan Smith. Yep. He got Ali Marpet. He got Quan Alexander. Right. Well, that was a, that Adam was his Hump. best draft by far. By far, yeah. Which they've paid the price this year because they couldn't resign them all. That's right. And Adam and, Humphrey's and they don't left. Have, and he wasn't drafted, but right. yeah. they don't have the draft picks. They haven't been as successful later in the rounds in the draft to fill those needs. Correct. Which is why they have contra- or cap issues at this point. That's correct. So, and then 14 was Mike Evans. You yeah, like him. Pretty good draft. Yeah, it was a pretty good draft. Yeah. You know, if you're picking yeah. first. So, they've done pretty well with the first pick overall. I mean, I think that, yeah. you know, Hargraves maybe was a miss at 11 at this point, and Vita Vey, I think it's too early to tell. Too early to tell, and, and you know, but, but trend, since you could have had Derwin James trending wrong, <laughs> if you just, you know, if you just compared those two choices. That's I mean, true. those were their two guys, was Derwin James and Vita Vey. I mean, they yep. they literally had them very close on their own board, and they had to choose, and and again, I think part of that, you know, I think you chase things sometimes too. You know, it's like, and, and again, we get back to this: the value of the position. To me, the closer to the ball you are, the more important you are. I just believe that, you know, and and it's an individual thing. But what they were thinking is they're trying to make up for past mistakes. They had not drafted really very many defensive linemen, and because of that, they had to go out and trade for Jason Pierre-Paul, pay him a fortune. He's going to be thirty years old. Noah Spence didn't work out. Um, Noah Spence you know, Stevie, was really the only one I think he's drafted outside well, the sixth or seventh round. Yes, Stevie two, two buck, whatever it was, Stevie T. And so you know, yeah, he he had to he had to make up for that. There had to be a 
a commitment to getting a defensive lineman here. So I think that's what sort of what steered that decision, even though they knew that James would be a hell of a player. And in fact, you know, he, what defensive rookie of the year or something like that um, made the Pro Bowl. I know that played very well for San Diego. So again, the jury is out. I mean, you know, Jay, Joe McCoy missed his first two years really with injury, but then made six straight Pro Bowls. So hard to just you know rule Vita Vea out. Mm-hmm. However, so far, eh, trending more towards Derwin James than Vita Vea. Yeah, I mean, after year one, but as as we've talked about before, is. You know, you've got to give a couple years before you know. It takes two or three years to yeah, know. Especially yeah, especially if a, if a player is injured. But understand this, and that's the key, he was injured. Understand, though, that special players are special right away. Yes. And the thing about the thing about Quentin Williams that I would say is that he's an Aaron Donald type. You know, this was a guy that was 275 pounds that had to gain weight to play, you know, at Alabama, mm-hmm. play inside. He was a defensive end. Then they moved him inside. He had to put on 20 pounds. But it's not a sloppy 20 pounds. And in today's game, you know, they used to have these big 330-pound, you know, sluggo, um, you know, nose tackles and defensive linemen that would just, you know, clog up everything in the middle of the field. But you see that, you know, quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball in under 2.5 seconds. And teams are, you know, getting it out to the perimeter really quick. They're not just slamming it up inside like they used to. So you have to have a guy that can penetrate. You have to have a guy that can get up field. Uh, change direction, pursue the ball, and that's why a guy like Aaron Donald last year with his you know twenty and a half sacks, that's you know he has a unique body to do that, and that's I think Quentin Williams is sort of in that mode as far as penetrating and and being disruptive. All right, Douglas asks your thoughts on the Bucks taking a running back, safety, or wide receiver anywhere in this draft. He says yes, anything is possible, but would you draft any? He says the cons are Arians and Light seem pleased with Barber and Jones. They have three fourth-round draft picks or higher already at safety, and they have five good receiving targets. Of course, the pros, he says, wasting draft picks. <laughs> um, they're absolutely going to try to get a running back in this draft. Uh, and they're, they're going to try to get a guy who is at least capable of, of being you know, a potential third down back. I mean, that's, that's what they feel like they need. They they do like Peyton Barber. I mean, I don't know how much Bruce Arians can continue to talk about how great that he thinks Peyton Barber is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash spoken today. Um, the tape's okay. He was 19th in the league in rushing. He had over 800 yards. You know, that line didn't block particularly well, but he was productive. Five touchdowns, I want to say. The big, the big unknown is, is Ronald Jones. You know, is Rojo going to come back and be that player he was at USC? There's just no way of knowing that. I mean, I've not seen – you know, running back is one of those things where you come to the NFL and very often what people will say is, well, can he play on third down? You know, because he doesn't know how to pass protect. He wasn't asked to pass protect. Doesn't run good routes. Was he a guy that caught the ball a lot in college? Rojo did not do that. He only had 32 receptions in his career. So it's like, you know, he had to be a home run hitter. I mean, you know, Dirk Cutter was so caught up in that 
they didn't get explosive plays out of the running game. They needed an explosive running back. But then you see him, and he didn't get many chances. I think he carried it like 25, 26 times. But he was so unsuccessful and just, you know, ridiculous, like under a yard per carry type averaging stuff at times that you just don't know what happened to him. You know, after a while, he probably lost confidence. But worse than that, the team lost confidence in him. So, you know, they've said all the right things. Oh, he's working so hard and his body's in better shape and he's in his playbook and all. He was 20 years old when he got drafted. He was 21 when he played. Didn't I talked to him. He didn't think it was all that important to really produce that much in the preseason. Like, what the hell is preseason? I think now he has a totally different, you know, his eyes are open. But having said all that, they really don't have that guy, right? Jacquez Rogers is not back on this football team. So they could use somebody. Um, you know, I know they got, what, Sean, Sean Williams, I believe. But they could use somebody who could play on third down. And, you know, if they can find a back somewhere in the fifth round, I mean, you can get them all the way through the draft, obviously, or even free agency. As far as the other positions go, safety, yes. I think they would like to have a safety. I don't know what priority it is. Quite frankly, if I had to rank the priorities, it would be, you know, defensive line, whether that's interior or an edge rusher, probably more interior than outside. Mike linebacker, inside linebacker for sure. Um, you know, running back somewhere along the line, they're going to be running back. But but preceding that, they need a right tackle and or a right guard. Uh, they need to address, according to Bruce Arians, the right side of their offensive line. Left side seems fine. You got Jensen at center. You got Marpet. You got Donovan Smith resigned. So those guys – Three of those guys are all locked up financially. So you're going to have to, you know, DeMar Dotson's going into his like 12th year, 11th or 12th year. They they don't have a right guard. Uh, they're moving Kalen Bedenock to tackle himself. So they're going to have to find some people. So I think they'll come out of this with uh, somebody that play on the right side of their offensive line, a running back somewhere, a linebacker somewhere, whether it's the first pick or not, and then definitely some defensive linemen. I, mean, I think those are going to be – their priorities if they can make it fall that way. All right, let's ask, Rick, is this a make-or-break year for Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota? Who has a better chance of being on the same team next year, Winston with the Bucks or Mariota with the Titans? I'm going to say something that might surprise people. I think the guy that has the best chance is Jameis Winston. And the reason I say that is Bruce Arians isn't going anywhere. Um, Bruce Arians, I think, is going to be your two years no matter what the record says this season. So Bruce didn't come here to coach another quarterback. He came in to coach Jameis. And, you know, if look, if Jameis stays healthy, I mean, last year was a fractured season with the suspension and the whole Fitzpatrick and Fitzmagic stuff, um, and they didn't play very well in front of him, obviously, and he didn't play well when he came back. Uh, but then he, he sort of right into the ship. Jameis Winston's going to play well enough. He's going to put up enough numbers. W- will he win a lot of games? Well, I don't know. Not if the defense gives up 29 a game. He's not going to win many because you're going to say, hey, you got to give us 30 to give us a chance. But I think that they'll find a way to keep Jameis more than one year with Bruce in this offense and hope that he's better in year two than he was in year one in this new system. Hope that Bruce and Clyde Christensen have a good impact on him, the maturity, um, the understanding of defenses and understanding of his game and where he fits in and the structure of the entire team and you know protecting the football and some of the things that he's worked on as far as that goes. I mean – all of that will be important. With Mariota, they've told Mariota, you're our starter. I mean, I talked to John Robinson, of course, was Jason Light's right-hand man. He's now the GM of the Tennessee Titans. When I talked to him at the owner's meeting about that very thing, he said, look, well, you know, 
we they brought in another quarterback. I mean, they went the other way. They said, we think competition makes everybody better at the quarterback position. The, the Bucks said, no, 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 it's Jameis's team, right? We're getting, ironically, it's like borrow from Peter to pay Paul. They, they took Tennessee's backup in Blaine Gabbert, and then they brought back Ryan Griffin, and those, those are the two guys behind Jameis Winston. You know, Tennessee went the other way and said, hey, what about this Ryan Tannehill guy? He can compete, right, for a starting job or at least be right there if, if there's the slightest dip or slip by Mariota. So I would say that the Titans have a go-to guy. They have someone they can they could play right away, whereas the Bucks they're not counting on anybody coming in unless Jameis gets hurt. So I would say Mariota is a little more wobbly than, than Winston is simply because, you know, I think that Arians is here to coach him more than one year. All right, Ellis asks, and this is more of a personal question, I guess. Which part mm-hmm. of the NFL season creates the most stress, online or otherwise, for sports journalists? Draft month, training camp, or immediately following the season? Mm. Great question. The draft, I wouldn't say, is that stressful. It's just it's it's laborious. I mean, you know, it's liar's poker, and I've been used six ways to Sunday on this sort of thing. To be honest with you, it's I, I think it's the, the season is the most stressful. I mean, the regular season is what's really stressful. You know, you're going to have changes after every year. I mean, you can almost anticipate which one those are, who's going to get cut. And, you know, free agency has its its time, at, you know, every now and then. But the Bucks this year at least didn't have any cap room, so they weren't in it for any of the big name free agents. Now, in the past, that's been a very busy time because they've always been in the, in the market for big ones. But I think it's I think it's the grind of a regular season. I think it's like coaches. You know, it's like you could have, you know, I don't know, 200 transactions during the season. You know, guys coming on the practice squad, off the team, injured reserve, all those things. And, you know, there's a rhythm and pace to it, and we've seen the schedule come out. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot there. All right, we got some race questions as well. And Scott asked, it's certainly tough to argue with the hot start, but at times do you feel the Rays are perhaps overly driven by analytics, particularly in how they manage their pitching? Health is important, and it's a long season, but Cash seems to have a very quick hook with his starters. Well, he does, and I, I do think that sometimes they need to use a little more gut than they do, you know, the analytics. It's not for me to say, you know, what the magic sauce is for the Buck or for I'm sorry, for the Rays, because it's worked for them, and they're not going to let me peek behind the curtain. I do think that if you're going with analytics, you, you have to be committed to them, and you have to let it play out through 162 games. That's really the only thing you can do, or the numbers aren't. You're not gonna let the numbers work for you. So that's the beauty of a baseball season. You have you know a 162 game season, and you know you're gonna play the percentages where a guy's gonna hit the ball. If you if you play the shift, are you always gonna get the guy to hit the ball into the shift? No. Occasionally he's gonna hit it the other way where the shortstop would have been, and you're gonna say, "Damn, wish we'd have just had our guys in normal positions." But the other eight times, you're gonna be in the right spot. So. You have to play the odds. You have to be committed to matchups. That's what the Rays are. I do uh, and did disagree with Kevin Cash coming out the other day uh, the way he did. You know, to me, when a guy is, is being dominant and he's throwing strikes, that's the key. He's not, you know, he's not wasting pitches. And he's only got – he's under 80 pitches and he's already, you know, into the sixth inning. I don't. I don't think that's the time you make a change. You know, I think you have to go with your gut a little bit. And so, you know, that was one where Tyler Glass now, just because he had given up a home run to that guy, 
you know, I, I, I didn't think the matchup was that bad. I would have let him go. Now, you're also not counting on the recent levers you put in to not throw strikes. I mean, this is the other part of it. It's like those guys have jobs too. And if they do their jobs and attack hitters and throw strikes, then Kevin Cash doesn't look bad. And all those other times that Kevin Cash makes those moves, you know, you kind of, you know, if they win, it's kind of forgotten about. But it's always illuminated when it doesn't work out. And so they're going to be committed to analytics because that's who the Rays are. I think personally, though, there are times when, you know, you have to say, hey, he's got really good stuff. He's made one mistake. Um, I don't want to, you know, it's a two to one ball game. Yeah, we may have to win this game two to one. But you're asking to get a lot of outs. I mean, you're asking to get, you know, 14 outs or whatever it was. And I think that especially when your bullpen is so taxed because you've lost Snell in your rotation, you're going with openers for like three straight nights. It just all of that should have played in the decision to say, you know what, we're going to let him go a little bit longer. And his previous start, he was under 90 pitches. So you had that working for you too. So I just think that the gut has to – has to take over at times and you know you have to put that that binder down with all the analytics once in a while but that's not who the rays are and and that is the special sauce you know that is that's what makes them successful and you know playing in against big market teams with a low payroll i've always said analytics are a tremendous tool and Mm -hmm. a great resource and and can be used for a lot of things but it can't know that you're having trouble at home and your mind's not fully in the game, or that you've been really working on hitting the pitch low, low and outside, and you've been spending the last month in the cage with the batting coach before every game doing that, and That's that right. you know your skills have improved in that level. That's what analytics don't show is mm-hmm. they kind of get a picture of you, and this is what you'll always be, and and it does mm-hmm. adjust over time, but you're not always put in a situation to adjust that either, and that's one of the things right. you know. That's where managing comes in. You know, is that understanding the players and, hey, this player's, you know, everything's at home is perfect and he's in good moods and, and everything's, you know, he's got a bounce in a step and he's, you know, he, he's going to be more positive and he's going to do better things. I mean, there's – and you can't always rely on that. It's not right. like every day that's how you pick your lineup. Not, I'm not saying that at all. But analytics right. can't always be the only thing that's considered every time. No, and they're based, particularly with young players, I mean, they're based on past performance, right? So if Tyler Glass now, he, he's this against right-handed batters after 80 pitches with a 2-0 count. You know, like they have all this broken down. But if he's if he's developing and now he's really confident mm-hmm. and he's he's a strike thrower and maybe he's, maybe he's throwing, you know, he's got three wipeout pitches now that he can throw them all for strikes. I mean, Glass now has not walked anybody in a while. Um, you know, I think that that – that's also part of it too is like you you know these analytics while they're updated after every game are still looking at trends from you know from the past and not how a player is pitching or feeling today and that's mm-hmm. where i think the manager needs or, to or otherwise how you, the you player's could, gotten better and that's right he's in, he's developing and and i think that's otherwise you don't need a human being i mean mm-hmm. you literally could play this you know the front office could sit up there with their sheets and, you know, just sort of play a board game with with human players and just appoint guys to pitch in this situation or hit in that situation. And, you know, even though Cash has all that information, like you said, he has that in his tool belt. But, you know what, sometimes you just need some duct tape. I mean, sometimes you don't need to tear the whole thing apart and just let the guy go. And I think that, you know, Cash has been guilty of that. But 
if you're going to manage the Rays, you're going to be committed to this, and mm-hmm. you're going to do it and let let these numbers work. Because if you start messing with it and not playing the matchups, then then you don't have any ability to to prove one way or the other that they would have worked. So it's all part of their formula, and, and they you know Kevin Cash has to buy into it, and he has to let his players buy into it. The other thing is. You know, Glasnow's sitting over there watching a potential two-to-one victory go get blown up in front of him. You know, he's watching guys walk the park. And that's that's a bitter thing for a player. You know, part of this is the buy-in. We've always said what happens with some of these guys that are openers or that are on the team, and, yeah, they're happy to be pitching in the majors and they would be back in Durham, and maybe they just throw a couple innings and it doesn't matter when. But what happens when some of these guys think, you know what, I should be a starter or I should be allowed to go seven, or I should be allowed to, you know, then then you have a different dynamic. Then the buy-in might not be what you need it to be. Well, yeah, had the opener strategy not worked last year, had their record been a little less and the ERA a little higher when they used the opener, mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't, would it be used as much today? Would as many teams use it today? No. I mean, over the weekend, the Angels used it. If you remember, mm-hmm. that was the first team that the Rays faced and used the opener, and their players were ripping the crap out of it. That's right. And they just used it over the weekend, and their manager said, yeah, that's a strategy we're going to use more often. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, so it, it's – the success definitely makes everyone look like a genius. Mm-hmm. And, and the opener has been a success so far, and the Rays, you know, set it up that way and, and had the right players and manager and everything else to go with it to make it work, and that's where the buy-in comes from. That's right. But, yeah, if you, if you pull Glasnow several times early in games and he loses leads after that, then you start losing buy-in from him or others. You know, I mean, look, everyone has bad games, and some leads are going to get blown. But That was tough. It was tough for him to watch. Yeah. Rooting for UF asked, was the hot start by the Rays fool's gold? When, I don't think it was. I mean, they did play some pretty good ball clubs. I, I think the dynamics have changed a bit. You know, since their their hot start, and you know, one of that has to do with the Red Sox. I mean, they played a much better team that, for whatever reason, decided to get it together when they got to the Trop. And those were all competitive, close games. One was extra innings. There were a bunch of one run games, two run games, games that the the Rays lost the lead, battled back, and tied a couple times, and still lost. So it's not as if they got the floor mopped up with them. A couple things I think happened is that. You know, they came off a long road trip, and even though they were successful, you know, it, sometimes it's difficult to get going right away. And I know they had a series before that, but, um, you know, there's that. And, you know, the Red Sox were not going to stay down forever. It's unfortunate that they got healthy on the Rays, but they were going to come back with that lineup, and they were going to start hitting the ball well. And then Blake Snell got hurt. I mean, he was the guy that set the tone for the, for the rotation, and you were going to miss time with him, so that that forced them into more openers, uh, you know, back to back than they had normally gone with, and so that was a factor too. If you look at just you know who pitched against the Red Sox in that series, and sort of how it went. I mean, you know, one bad pitch by Charlie Morton winds up being a grand slam. Okay, you can't take that back, but one guy drove in five runs, and and that's all it took. So. You know there were there were some bad base running plays. They didn't play they didn't play clean games. Uh, they left a lot of guys on base, which they had not been doing. You know they had three four triples one day and uh, one game, and the only guy that scored was a guy who scored on another triple. And the other three were stranded at third with less than two outs. 
they had their opportunities. They just didn't they just didn't get it done. And you're not going to win every game. You're not going to go, you know, 20 and 5. I mean, that's just, you know, almost impossible to do in the majors. So, uh, the, you know, combination of good team, the bullpen I think got exposed a little bit on the back end, you know. And, and of course, the more they work, then that, that's always likely. But against better hitting, they lost a little confidence. I know Diego Castillo did, and he seemed to get it back in his last outing. Alvarado, same thing. So I don't think it was fool's gold. Look, this team won 90 games a year ago, and they've they've added some really nice pieces. They don't have the deepest starting group, obviously. That's why they're only starting you know three guys in the rotation. But the pitching's pretty good. The question is always going to be about the bullpen. I mean, can this bullpen – hold leads in, in high-leverage situations because that's all they're going to face. They're going to face, you know, one-run games, late in games, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and they're going to have to find, what, find a way to get out of it, you know, with, with a three-to-two, two-to-one, you know, four-to-three games. So if they don't pitch well on the back end or they don't pitch well in general, then they're going to lose. They're not going to score a ton of runs. So I think this is who they are, and, you know, so far so good. Look. You know, you even with the sweep of the Red Sox, you would take this start if you if you ask Kevin Cash, he just said, "Heck yeah, sign me up for it." They're on pace to win 106 games. Yeah, that's not that doesn't suck. No, <laughs> I mean we're not through April yet, but it doesn't yeah. suck. But I mean, you know, even with the four game losing streak, and you're going to have those swings in baseball. Oh, sure you are. With 162 sure. games in a game that you know is is so taught. I mean, even the worst teams generally win at least 60 games. They're all going to win 60. That's right. You know, so. I don't think it's fool's gold. I think, you know, it was a good a good check. I mean, they played Boston, a team that's got a uh, probably the, one of the best lineups in baseball. No doubt. And they were in every game. I mean, you know, they came back in several of them. Yep. They didn't finish the deal on them, but they were competitive. They were, you know, unfortunately you let Boston up off the mat a little bit, but you did. They were mm-hmm. going to at some point, so I don't think it's fool's gold. I think, you know, but the, the pace they were on before that was they weren't going to sustain the rest of the season. So, no, you know, the good thing is they came back out Monday night and beat Kansas City. That's right. And if they keep winning series, whoever they play and, and you know, the Kansas cities and some of the lesser teams, the White Sox, you need to win those series because then, you know, you can play 500 or better against the division opponents. And look, you know, their problem is they play Boston 19 times and the Yankees 19 times. And so, you know, they're 0-3 now to the Boston Red Sox. You cannot, you know, sustain any kind of a lead if you're going to lose a series and lose it badly, the season series, I mean. So we'll see what they do the next 16 games. But, you know, so far that's not the start they want against the Red Sox. All right. I am dead inside, asks. If the Columbus Blue Jackets. (laughs) Wait, wait, what? (laughs) Are you Steve? Do we need to talk? No. Well, you'll, you'll, I mean, under, you'll understand it, based on the question. Oh, I. Oh, I. Okay, this is a guy's handle because I yes. thought maybe we. You know. Well, if, it, it if wasn't something's his handle. It's you. what he changed his name on on Twitter because he's asking a lightning question. So you can assume that I'm dead he probably changed. Inside. It I am after dead game inside. Four. Okay. It says That's if the Columbus Blue Jackets surprise everyone and somehow wins it all, or even makes it to the Stanley Cup Finals, do you think it would save face for the Lightning? And maybe stop this from going down as one of the biggest chokes in sports history. No. That's my quick answer. No. I mean, it'd be congratulations to the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they were maybe you know better than we thought or other people thought they were. But who is Columbus going to play? I mean, there's going to be other upsets too, you know. And that 
that might be a, oh, damn, if they'd have beaten Columbus, then the Lightning could have gone all the way and won the Stanley Cup. You can look at it two ways. But they got, they, got a, they got swept by these guys. I mean, it's not like they were even that competitive after the first period of the first game. Look, when you win 62 games and you flame out, I don't care who you lose to. When you go down, you go down four straight, I mean, in six days, six days your whole season's over. And Jeffrey Vinnick could have made probably, you know, another $15 million in, in, in playoff gates, and you just wipe that out for a year. No, this season, I don't know how you look. I mean, it, it is what it is. You're going to look back and say, wow, how did a team set the record, the NHL record for wins, and then, you know, get eliminated and swept by an eight seed after a 3-1 lead with 15 minutes to play in game one? It And, and it's not just this sport. Let another team that has set a record or, you know, wins the most games by far in – baseball or the NBA and let them flame out in the first round of a playoff 4-0 and everybody will be saying well up till now you know in modern day the worst the worst flame out was the Tampa Bay Lightning because they're the only team to have won the most games in their sport and then lose four straight I mean that they're going to be that team is going to be known for one thing and it's not going to be the 62 wins it's going to be getting eliminated in four straight games after the 62 wins. I think what we're seeing, and I think Columbus has a good shot to move on, at least in the next round, and potentially sure to the cup finals, is that sure. they're a better team than an eight seed and a better team than people realized. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about this at the trade deadline. Right. They were the only team in the East that made moves to go for it. Yes. I mean, you know, Boston added Charlie Coyle, and you know, every player, every team added a little bit, but they didn't make big trades. Like the the Blue Jackets did by adding Dezingle and Deshane, and you know they were they were going for they were the only team in the East that went for it. That's right. As far as their roster, and it, it took a few weeks, and then they finally got into a rhythm and, and were started playing really well as they were hitting the playoffs. And I think what we're seeing is that Columbus was a much better team than a lot of people realized. It was mostly because the Lightning won sixty two games. It was unthinkable they would lose in the first round. That's right, and but, the, the Columbus was not the same team they had in the regular season. Right. I mean, they won seven out of eight to, to enter the postseason. So now they're, you know, eleven out of eleven out of uh, thirteen. But I agree. Even if they, even if Columbus wins the whole thing, it won't matter. It, it doesn't soften the Lightning's loss. It's still, no. you know, your history-setting season, and you went out in four games. That's right. You know, at least you know the ninety-five, ninety-six Red Wings, who they were compared with a lot. You know, they lost in seven games in the East in the Western Conference Finals. You know, they won yeah, a couple a rounds before they got eliminated. Yeah, that's a whole different story. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, you get in a game seven or six or whatever it is, and anything can happen. So at least they got there. At least they had a chance to taste the cup and go to the Stanley Cup final. The only thing that softens or, it for the Lightning is you win the cup next year or the year after. That's right. Kind of like Virginia in basketball. Lost to a, you know, a 16 mm-hmm. seed as a number one seed last year, and this year they won the whole title. Right. It doesn't erase it, but it sure makes it feel a lot better. Absolutely, and we'll see if they're able to do that. I, I still am of the belief it's just really hard to win the damn cup. But, you you know, here's the thing that really spoils it for everybody. So September rolls around. They start playing in October, right, and they get off to a good start. Who's going to give – Who? I mean, they're going to have to play six months of hockey and, and the sort of the point of reference and the narrative is going to be, yes, so what? <laughs> and they can win – Five in a row, eight out of nine, ten out of twelve. It won't matter. They could beat the Stanley Cup champions twice or three times. It still won't matter. Everybody be like, "Yeah, well, but let's see what you do when you get in the postseason." Like, 
The regular season will never matter around here for hockey unless they miss the playoffs. That's the only thing that's going to really, you know, hey, did you see the Lightning didn't even make the playoffs this year? I mean, the rest of it is just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's just where they live now. Yep. Our final question of the night, Mike asks, the Lightning most likely will have to move at least one contract. Who would you move in a trade, Yanni Gord or J.T. Miller? They're the only two without a no-trade clause. And I will point out before you answer is that just because you have a no-trade clause doesn't mean you can't be traded. Now, you have to agree to it. You know, Val Philpola yeah. a few years ago had a no-move or trade clause, and he was traded to the Flyers. You know, you have to work with the player and, and that. So just because you have a no-trade clause, it means you can't just go – call a GM and say, hey, I'll trade you Tyler Johnson today and cut a deal without letting Tyler Johnson know. He's got to be in the know right. and agree to it. But it, right. just because you have a no trade doesn't mean you can't be traded. You just can't be traded without your permission. So if my choices were JT Miller and Yanni Gord, I would think Miller would be on the move. Am I wrong about that? Uh, look, it all depends on what they want to do this year. You know, you've got to sign Braden Point. And it depends. Will sure. he take a bridge deal like Nikita Kucherov did a few years ago and yeah. sign a three-year deal for five, six mil a year? Or does he want the Nikita Kucherov-type contract now where then you're going seven or eight years for seven or eight mil a year? You're, he's not getting Nikita Kucherov money yet. Or is he willing to take lesser money for three years and then get the big deal like Kucherov did? Right. So the question is, what does Braden Point want to do and what does the team want to do with him? You're going to have Andre Vasilevsky up after next year. Same type thing. You're going to have to sign him to a deal, too. You've got three unrestricted free agents on defense, Strawman, Coburn, and Girardi. And Jan Root is also an unrestricted free agent. So those four don't have to be back. I don't see Girardi coming back. Maybe you sign Coburn to a one-year deal. Uh, maybe Strawman, although with his injury history the last couple of years, you may not want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. But if he gives you a friendly enough deal because he wants to stay here, maybe you try it. But are they gonna are they gonna try to make a big move? Like are they gonna try to sign Eric Carlson as a free agent? Who there was talk Why of them not? trading for. Right. Why now, the hell not? But if you're gonna do that, you're gonna have to clear a couple contracts. Yeah, you will. You know, at that point you're gonna have to, you know, the contracts that you're really looking at possibly clearing are Yanni Gord who's gonna make, you know, five point one almost five point two mil. Alex Kalorn's at four five approximately. Tyler Johnson's five mil a year, JT Miller's just over five, and so is Andre Pilat. And Ryan Callahan, you assume they're going to either trade or buy him out. He's got one year left. So you assume he's probably not going to be on the roster next year. But if you're going to make big moves like trying to go after guys like Eric Carlson, then you're going to have to clear several contracts to get to a cap number. If you're just going to sign and and call up some rookies and sign some, I'll say average, more contract size average as far as, you know, contracts for defense, then, then you don't have to clear as many contracts that you have. But those guys are the middle-tier contracts. I mean, Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov all have big money deals. Then you get those, those guys in the middle, around the 4 or $5 million range. Those are the ones you may have to clear out to make some moves. And that's why Julian Breesbaugh gets all the big money, because he gets to make those decisions and not us. But there will be changes in probably a lot of them as far as the team goes. And that's part of it. I mean, it's part of hockey. It's part of not making, you know, going very far in the playoffs. And they got to figure out what's going to happen with the defense. They're getting old back there. Have to make some moves and also keep an eye on the future as well. So great questions tonight, though, for the mailbag. Hope you enjoyed those. Uh, they were answered 100% correctly. Money back guaranteed. And, of course, we've got a busy week 
coming up. I'll be at One Buck Place. The Buccaneers are going to begin their first minicamp. That's right. They're going to be on the field for the first time as a group. It's voluntary. Keep that in mind. Joe McCoy will not be there, probably JPP either. But uh, Bruce Arians will have, and his coaching staff will have their team on the field today and Wednesday, leading up until the NFL draft, of course, which is Thursday. So we got lots to talk about there. The Rays continue their series with the Kansas City Royals. They got three more or two more games uh, to go with the Royals to see if they can get back on the winning side of things and maybe build a winning streak after snapping that uh, four game losing streak. And remember, folks, uh, you do have a choice of air conditioning companies. I'm just going to tell you, the people at Millionaire, that's who you want to go see. They've been doing this for a long time. They're offering right now 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 and take advantage of this great offer on some brand-new quality train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. It's 727-862-2100. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.